Hello, everybody. This is Anna and Brian from Amado World Podcast. And today we have our next guest for XR episode team, who is the director of Enigma, co-founder of Thursdale, and as well, he is a co-organizer of Ethereum London, Ethereum meetup community in London. Hi, Tim. Hello. Nice to be here. Thanks for having me. Good. Always good to have you. Yeah. Can you please tell us a little bit about yourself and your background? So I am a web developer, mostly, and I've been in the Web3 space since, well, I've been following Bitcoin since 2014. I remember watching that whilst I had a full-time job and thinking to myself, will this help me to, you know, move out of that space and actually go into the startup world again, which is what I did after being there. And then was working for a startup with someone who's actually running this office space now. So we were working together on a startup called Guy called Nick. The startup eventually got bought out by a company in the States that was focused mm -hmm. on building Web3 loyalty schemes. And that was before the word NFT even existed. So we were having to talk about like tokenization instead of NFTs. So like tokenizing assets, tokenizing rights, and, you know, like looking at them as placeholders for putting whatever you wanted onto them. But that was challenging because, you know, we had to do a lot of language shaping and actually working with people who didn't have any sort of language framework so it was very technical so you know i think as we move towards talking about the next era of emerging technology there's going to be a lot of talking about stuff which doesn't yet have names you know mm -hmm. just like nfts didn't have names um, and how blockchain was changed to dlt when they needed to sort of obfuscate the fact that people were getting upset with the word crypto and then people are comfortable again talking about talk about blockchain again mm -hmm. after that and we spoke about that a bit didn't we about what was it we were talking about we were talking um, about basically yeah. nfts yeah and how those names have been sort of changing around nfts and whether they're going to continue to change mm -hmm. as stuff happens in that yeah. space so yeah, that's a bit about me cool and now you're transitioning from the you know crypto blockchain web3 space into something that you call web4 so maybe you can explain a little bit about that great about that it's quite a new term well, I mean, the terms, well, people have been talking about the 3D or the spatial web for since like 2013, probably longer. You know, even blockchain was around before it was official, officially a mainstream dialogue, like before 2009, I think that was the date, wasn't it? So like all that technology was being developed prior to that and it actually goes back quite a long way. And a lot of AI technology goes back pre-ChatGPT as well. Like a lot of people think suddenly all this AI came overnight, but actually like this stuff's been in development for mm. years and they're all based on concepts and ideas that have been around for thousands of ideas as well, like language training. Um, but yeah, Web4, so it's nothing, it's actually nothing new. It's just a way of categorizing a certain era in time. And I think, you know, like in 40, 50, 100 years time, people will look back potentially and go, oh, that was the Web3 era. And that's, these are the technologies that came out of Web3. And this is what people were trying to do with the internet. And I think people will look back and go, oh, and this era was Web4. You know, how like people look back on the era that people were using bronze and call that the Bronze Age. And they look back on people using iron, they call that the Iron Age. They're just categories of ways to actually categorize blocks of time. So, you know, when people were in the Iron Age, they weren't like, oh, we're in the Iron Age. It's like, no, you're just, they would just be building using bronze and other stuff and trying to develop all these new technologies. And just because iron suddenly exists, it doesn't make bronze obsolete. And it's like Web4 is not something that makes Web3 technology, Web3 era technologies obsolete, just like how Web2 technologies are still, or technologies mm -hmm. which developed in the Web2 era of the internet are still used in Web3. And a lot of people, and I'm not going to go into this now unless you want to, but 
a lot of people see problems with that around decentralization. They see Web3 purely as decentralization, whereas I don't think that's necessarily a controversial opinion here, but I don't think that's necessarily all that Web3 is because, you know, Web2 was an attempt to decentralize content generation mm-hmm. on the internet because when the internet first existed, only content creators could, or like the big corporations could, or whoever could create web pages. But then when new technology developed, it enabled actual content creators to come along and like upload YouTube videos and then do Facebook and do social mm-hmm. networks. And you saw the emergence of these big companies like Facebook and Google from that. And then Web3 is almost an attempt from a social political perspective, economic perspective, to decentralize a lot of the content, a lot of the value that was generated by those content creators. So it's a way of trying to, you know, democratize the money that exists in the in the on the internet. And Don Tap Don Tap's got called it the internet of value a long time ago. He's created created a book called The Blockchain Revolution and spoke about how to, you know, distribute wealth more fairly on the internet. So that's, you know, like a lot of the ethos about web three is around that and you know i think web four is going to be like an attempt to maybe democratize the i mean again this is not something i've really thought about much but potentially and you might have some ideas on this as well but maybe a attempt to democratize access to experiences you know Mm -hmm. like how Mm -hmm. some people can uh, some people who go to elite schools get like day trips out to the Houses of Parliament so that they naturally end up going into government because they feel more comfortable in those spaces because they've grown up in those spaces. But with Web4, with VR, XR, you know, Apple's Vision Pro, you'll be able to actually step into those spaces, learn how to feel comfortable in them, learn where the toilets are or, you know, so that when you go into those spaces for the first time, you don't look like it's your first time there. You don't look like a noob. It sort of removes that kind of noob Mm -hmm. syndrome i guess in some ways but i'm actually more curious as well like because it's xr so maybe you can actually talk about the link of web 4 to xr so so people can actually understand how it can look like like, you know what the same way that blockchain and crypto you know is to web 3 what kind of technologies are to sort of this this next age that's a good question. I think I don't like the term killer app, but a lot of people use the term killer app. You know, it's like when the iPhone came out and that was a hardware thing. Obviously, iTunes was probably the killer app for that, I'd imagine. And then when Web3 came along, decentralization and blockchains came along, suddenly Bitcoin becomes the killer app, which actually puts it on the on the map, right? And I think from a hardware perspective, the Apple Vision Pro and Meta's, Meta's Quest as well and the HoloLens, like the iPhone was, um, or the personal computer. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's a good question. Like what is going to be the, the groundbreaking app that goes, oh, this makes sense, why I should use this? And I, don't, I can't really say I know, but what I do know is that I was in a takeaway a while ago waiting for my food and there was a kid there behind the counter and he had an ipad and he was playing with a virtual reality football he was just like holding the ipad out and like moving this football around the room and the the ball was moving i'd imagine i didn't look too closely but like i'd imagine it was probably able to detect like collisions based on the Mm, objects exactly use some physics Mm -hmm. on the ground kind of how it will bounce back exactly it just reminds me like the mario cards as well do have you seen this video just like when you actually can do mario cards in your in a kitchen yeah. or so that's a yeah, gaming place isn't it yeah because yeah, yeah, yeah. he's driving around like yeah you can drive i saw a video that video is one like you can drive this car around and it puts augmented reality obstacles and things mm-hmm. that yeah. you have to drive around so 
that might be like gaming is definitely a big thing for when I first tried a VR headset, it's like, oh, this is going to change gaming. But it's interesting that Apple has not, if you noticed in their talk, they didn't really talk about, I don't think they talked at all about gaming mm-hmm. in that. No. Yeah. I think it's because mostly connected to like working remotely and just like you can see the screen. Yeah, yeah it's focused more on the I feel work. like that's very similar to how all the other big players are approaching it. So yeah. like Meta, Meta is only- and Microsoft, especially they've been focusing heavily on the enterprise. Yeah. And you think maybe, maybe it's just because of the price point they're selling a lot of these hardware. Mm-hmm. You think these are the, you know, where they can make the most impact. Cause you're not going to think that your average gamer is going to work out three and a half grand mm-hmm. for a device that doesn't have many you know games on it yet. Well, no, I mean. In terms of the hardware issues, like one of the things I was most excited about the, over these last few years has been the ability for cl- cloud computing to let you play games on Mac that you can that you could only usually play on PC. And it's like Nvidia's GeForce Now, not a partner, not advertising them at all, but it's a pretty cool product because mm-hmm. I can like I know, play Tomb Raider or something on my Mac. Actually, it's available for that anyway, but you can play games which you would traditionally only currently be able to play on the PC. And so I think like, again, this is probably a conversation for someone else, but the VR headsets are quite limited in terms of their processing capabilities because of battery issues. But it would be interesting to see how combined with cloud computing that mm-hmm. can potentially become a, a thing to power really high quality experiences in there. But we spoke yeah. earlier about wind farms, didn't we? And about how you can use augmented reality to have someone train someone whilst they're out at sea on a wind farm. Do you have any thoughts on how not to put you on the spot do you have any thoughts on how the apple vision pro might be used in a setting like that i think it's just like pilots they use the augmented reality bits in their helmets for some time already so i think companies can actually afford some of the headsets like that yeah i think pilots or like something for like medic from the medical background or like some engineers and that's probably and you can imagine how that could i guess speed up the decision making process for these pilots for example what air control can tell them is you know there's a plane approaching from these degrees etc you know they need to do a lot of mental calculations in the head whereas Mm -hmm. with something like um, the vision pro or any similar product it could be just you know highlighted in the peripheral of their i guess the the goggles the glasses so they can actually visually see where a lot of this information is coming from they have a lot more context that could, you know, help improve maybe the efficiency of how people work in the field. Because you were talking about those people, technicians in the wind farm. Yeah. You're kind of training people to, especially with play and um, with flying planes, you're yeah. training people's like impulses. You mm-hmm. sort of, if you're using a flight simulator and you've got a screen in front of you and like you said, peripheral vision, if something flies into your peripheral vision, it's not going to be quite the same as if you've got the VR headset on. Like mm-hmm. uh, a few years ago, I think it's between the two COVID lockdowns, I went, to see my family and stay with them for a while when I was allowed to do it. Uh, but, and I played through the new Half-Life 2 game called Alex. My brother had that on his VR headset. And like, it's unlike something, you, you know, you, you would experience by just playing with a mouse and keyboard or a, a game console. Cause you've literally got like monsters jumping out 
you know, and yeah, you can see them in your peripheral vision and you actually sometimes find yourself moving physically mm. like too far. And my brother was standing in the room with me, making sure that I wasn't going to like jump <laughs> into a wall and break his headset because it was quite expensive at the time. But, you know, that headset was wired up mm-hmm. and it's amazing just how far that technology has come in just a few years. And Apple Vision Pro, I did not expect them to announce something without the handheld mm. controllers and having something which enables you to respond like with such accuracy is amazing. Like my house, one of my housemates works for Apple and he was just saying that he's not tried it yet, but he was saying that people have been saying in his circles that it's really responsive and it's really mm. able to recognize like pinches and things like that very well. So I'm really excited to give that a try. I think I would just like I would love to try that as well because usually for like VR headsets, I, I feel dizzy so I can't say that for too long. <laughs> you have some, because I went to like a conference some time ago, like uh, VR and AR. So they had like kind of a gyroscope. So basically in a plank with a headset and you're flying around and a little bit of movement of your body. And just that I can. <laughs> I mean, I had, I get motion sickness as well. And when I was playing through Half-Life, the Alex game, um, the first time I played it, I could play it for like one minute and I had to take it off. And then I could play it for like, 10 minutes and I had to take mm-hmm. it off and then eventually I was able to just I got so immersed in my brain I guess was so convinced that this was real so I was just like able to walk around in it and like mm-hmm. and stay in it for a few hours or something like that but it is it's weird because you hear stuff going on in the background and that's happening in real life and like my mother was like dinner's ready and I'm like crawling through a really dark tunnel with like zombies trying to chase me I'm like what's going on like where am I who am I what's <laughs> it sort of triggers this weird existential yeah. crisis in some ways but two worlds collide yeah, yeah definitely it's augmented reality yeah. Maybe you can tell a little bit about projects that you've done for maybe for like XR. Mm. In fact, I have one open here right now. So, so I've been working on several different things. A lot of the, okay, so Android has opened up the ability for developers to create augmented reality experiences in code. So a lot of those libraries are in React, there's a lot of React libraries for interfacing with the augmented reality hardware on Android devices. Apple's locked it down a little bit more, maybe because they want to streamline people towards buying the Vision Pro, I don't know, yeah. but or just using their own um, toolkits. But Apple has allowed you, Android has allowed you to create augmented reality experiences. So I've been messing around with some React libraries for doing that. Still trying to, they're still quite in early development at the moment. And one of the things that it, is really challenging when working with any emerging technology is that you have a lot of work to do to build interfaces between the actual hardware and making the coding languages and frameworks easy for people to use, if that makes sense. So a lot of what I've been having to do is contact the teams that are building the libraries for interfacing with the hardware and say like, how can I do this or this or this? How can I do these kind of collisions with actual real world stuff or whatever? And then you end up waiting ages for a response mm. from them. And it's like, it's slow moving. And then you ask ChatGPT and it's like giving you stuff from versions of that library, which existed like two years ago or something like that. And it's like, okay, this is moving so quickly that it's just not helpful. Whereas something like build me a Shopify site, it's able to do that really quickly because so many people have done it and it's, mm. in it's got a lot of data on which to base those things. It's learned a lot from what other people have done. But with this emerging stuff, it's like, it has nothing to you can't train it on anything because it's being invented. And it's the same with, with language. Like if you said to ChatGPT, like if you asked it to try and invent the word NFT, it just wouldn't because that came from communities and people meeting together. And um, so a lot of people, I think, talk about, oh, am I going to be obsolete because of AI? Or will, I guess people will start asking, will augmented reality replace my job as well? And it's like, I don't know, it might replace some jobs. It might enhance others. 
someone recently said that people shouldn't be asking, will AI replace my job? They should be saying like, how can I use AI to help me with my job? And like, exactly. you'll probably start seeing this split between people who are able to use it and people who aren't. And it's like, yeah. you know, like people who learn how to use Google for stuff mm-hmm. versus people who still can't really send an email. Like you see this, this struggle, but a lot of the people who can't send emails are the ones who are still in top level management, but you know, I'm not going to say anything about that. I think there is a saying that's kind of gaining traction, you know, it's, it's not that AI will replace anyone's job. It's the people who learn how to use AI to do their job that will replace the yeah. people who don't essentially. So I feel like we're going to see, we're always going to see this, you know, with any kind of digital revolution and probably it's going to be the same thing for any tools that use augmented reality in some form. I think some of, like we were talking about, you know, how technicians could use this in the field. I think one of the the places that it's gaining a lot of traction is things like um, construction and anything that allows you to give insights, you know, on say the infrastructure of a, I guess, uh, any kind of facility. The concern that some people have as to, you know, like, I don't want to use a VR headset because maybe I can't afford one, or I just don't want to wear it because it makes me feel ill. I think, you know, it's possible to create 3D websites Mm -hmm. and let people use them without stepping into them using a headset as Mm -hmm. well. And I think that's something that people don't realize. It's like you can, there's actually a space for virtual reality experiences in your browser. And you don't have to necessarily step into them in the same way that you would with a VR headset. And I know that some people who are listening probably won't have used a VR headset, but it's a very different experience. But you can still get an experience without actually mm-hmm. wearing the headset. I think we're we, we're starting to see that more in the real estate space, especially because, yeah. um, like for example, three D virtual tours is getting I think a lot more commonplace. We and yeah, we we mm-hmm. know someone who actually does um, does this where it goes around properties scans the place and uploads like this. It's 3D model that. Yeah, yeah. 3D model and something new. And there is a little interface on the website where people can explore, they can open up, they can check the rooms, etc. It's like Matterport, I guess. Yeah, Matterport. Yeah. I think he was using Matterport. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. For that. Yeah, I'm doing something similar, but building more custom integrations into that. So you can basically have a scan, but then because it's using React, you can like add your own objects you can add but whereas with Matterport you can just like have a 3D like scan and then mm-hmm. Google Street View type scan as well and then you can move around in some ways they're adding some features like measurement features which are actually really good but you can't like have moving objects and you can't have this bespoke thing going on it's like having a designer create something for you versus like just mm-hmm. buying something off the shelf it's probably like as well it might be interesting for commissions or like the designers week I went to one of the, like in May. For fashion exhibition? Not the fashion. It's actually like, uh, so architecture design. And because like they can't actually store certain bits after it's done, Mm -hmm. it's probably like better to scan it, add some additional bits so people can experience it after it's gone and no longer available. So it's like museum type of thing but you can explore it in digitally or using like immersive tech but when you combine that with 3d printing as well that's quite interesting what could be possible like you know there's a lot of talk at the moment about the elgin marbles and other artifacts and it's like why can't you 3d print keep them in the british museum and then send the originals back to greece like Mm. it's kind of where they belong controversial opinion but (laughs) you know you can insist so how has your experience been sort of developing some of these experiences? Because you, you mentioned you're using 
know React. So can you tell us a bit more about, about what exactly are the tools you're using? Because it's a little bit different from some of the other tools. Because I know, so like the stuff we're using is things like Spark AR and, and Studio, which have very mature ecosystems and lots of um, no-code style integrations. So how has your experience been developing something from, for example, like React? I think it's a lot more, I guess, involved. Well, there's a lot of different moving parts and it's like, you know, just like with blockchain, it's a convergence of lots of different types of technologies and like, you're now starting to see zero knowledge proof technology being more integrated. And you know, people have been speaking about ZKPs for a long time, but you're starting to see a lot more people speaking about that and how those can be used in applications. And it's like AI, you know, like that's starting to influence all other different areas as well. But it's the same with any new emerging tech, it sort of becomes this, you, you get that kind of killer app, I suppose, when all these different technologies find a convergence point at the same time. And with any with creating a virtual reality experience, you can combine all sorts of technologies like LiDAR scanning and photogrammetry as well for actually taking a more detailed scan of smaller objects. And then you're starting to see these AI things coming out because in like a scan like this, like a LiDAR scan of any building, it's very choppy and you can sometimes... Mm. Yeah, how did you get that LiDAR scan? Because it looks like... So this is a scan of the almost the entire stadium. Yeah. Like, what is it? Oh, I use my drone to fly around Wembley Stadium oh, and take lots and lots of photos and scan. No, I, I didn't do that, but that's probably how this scan was, was done by I managed to get hold of, mm. hold of a scan of the stadium. You know, like I think AI will be able to potentially help clear up some of those holes in some of the scans and make it look yeah. a bit nicer. Because the problem with LiDAR scans is that they don't look nice for virtual tours. Mm -hmm. And this is how Matterport has basically, they've dealt with that issue by combining the Matterport scans, or the LiDAR scans with actual photograph scans as well. I actually wanted to ask about your hopes and predictions for the future of the XR field. <clears throat> well, I think that... Again, like we said earlier, it's a lot about language creation and getting people actually comfortable with using the terminology Web4 is part of that. When Apple started talking about the spatial web, that's a big step towards it. You know, and Facebook was talking about the metaverse and it's like you, and people were starting to talk about Web3 and the metaverse. And I remember I went to this I went to this conference. This is where I had the like light bulb moment. I went to a conference and it was about Web3 and the metaverse. And there were these guys on stage talking about stuff. And I was in the audience and I was thinking, they're not talking about anything that I don't know, or haven't heard before. And they're not talking about it in very good detail. And yet they're working for Meta and they're getting paid a, probably a huge amount of money. And I thought to myself, oh, I'm just, you know, being a bit arrogant. I should just like, they're trying to, I was thinking to myself, they're keeping it high level so that everyone understands it. It's fine. They're probably smarter than me anyway, whatever. And then I heard these two women behind me. I'm not going to say exactly what they said, but they were like, what the F is he talking about? And I just suddenly realized like, gosh, these people are keeping this really high level and like no one knows what they're talking about. And I thought there needs to be a more clearly defined line between what is Web3 and what mm -hmm. is not Web3. And then suddenly I thought to myself, wow, yeah, you've got a completely different era starting to emerge here. It's like Web3 technologies are anything that's around ownership. Like Web1 was the read web, Web2 was the write web, Web3 was about ownership. But then anything that's beyond that needs to be categorized into something else. And VR has got nothing to do with ownership. XR's got nothing to do with ownership, mental reality, and LiDAR scanning hasn't. You've got, you know, even wearable technologies, like potentially is a way of bringing the internet into our everyday surroundings and internet of things and all these new sort of technologies which are emerging are contributing to something much bigger. And I think that's that's Web4 or the spatial web, which is what Apple's calling it. They just now need to start calling it Web4 because it's a new era of the internet. Um, I think one of the ways of helping 
to get that language be, be in use is doing events. And I was going to say it's an honour to be on your podcast after you came along to the first Web4 event. And I'm actually getting to talk with you about that now. So thank you for that. You know, for people who want to learn more about what you do and uh, the exciting projects you get up to, how can they find you? Come along to the Ethereum London meetups. I think there's not enough people really understanding the sort of separations of eras yet for Web4 to really merit some massive meetups like the Ethereum London meetups that we do. But I think it will get there. So come along to Ethereum London meetups, have a chat with me, especially if you're in the VR or XR space, or just, you know, if you're not based in London, then feel free to reach out to me on Twitter. It's at TimHC22. And yeah, happy to answer any questions on there. Cool. Yeah, we'll be sure to include all those links um, in the description of the podcast. So once again, thank you for joining us for this episode. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you. Great having you. So yeah. Bye. Thank you, everyone. Bye.